0: Welcome, you're listening to Intentional Conversations from Mika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. For those of you who've been a part of this community, you know that I always like to take an opportunity before I bring on our guest co-host to provide a formal introduction. I want you all to know the accolades, the credentials, all of the great experience that our co-hosts bring to our Intentional Conversations podcast discussion. And so today will be no different. And after I will present our guest co host today, I then will give her an opportunity to unmute herself and to greet you in her own way. I'm super excited. It's been a long time coming, but I want you all to help me welcome my friend, Niha Sumput. Niha is a CEO and founder of Belong Lab, where she helps organizations create cultures of Belonging into which each individual can bring more of their true and best self. Through consulting, training, speaking, and writing, she helps organizations address hidden barriers to belonging, such as internalized bias, unconscious bias, distrust in teams, and wellness challenges. She is an internationally sought after expert on inclusive leadership and disrupting imposter syndrome, and she runs the top rated owning your value programs to cultivate evidence-based confidence and nurture authenticity. Neha's insights have been featured in Harvard Business Review, Time Magazine, Thrive Global, ABA Journal, News India Times, and numerous other professional publications and media. Neha holds a BS in sociology and political science from University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign, obtained her JD from UC Berkeley School of Law and holds a certificate in graduate applied psychology. Neha works across industry from Amazon to Pixar and UC Berkeley to numerous top global law firms. Neha also relishes and learns from her role as a mama to her two kiddos, And you can learn more about her work at www.belonglab.com. We'll place that into the chat. And you can follow her on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook at The Long Lab and on LinkedIn, and it is, um, we'll place actually her link to LinkedIn into the chat so that you all can connect with her. But podcast community, you know what we do right now. We find whatever ways we can through the emojis, through the celebrations and expressions in the chat, but I want you to help me welcome my friend Neha. Let her know that we appreciate her stopping by today and being a part of our conversation. So Neha, I am going to now spotlight you so that the world, and I'm saying the world because you know, we truly believe that this, the reach of Intentional Conversations podcast is very broad, can see who you are. But um, I want you to just greet this audience in your own way. And we often like to ask our guest co-hosts to make sure that as they're thinking about what they want to share, is to consider maybe some of those tidbits that perhaps people would not know about you from reading your bio. So what else can we glean about Neha? Welcome, my friend. Oh, my gosh. Dr. White, thank you so much. I am so excited to be
1: here. I have been engaging with the vodcast on the other side of it. um, And this is really a great honor for me. So thank you, and thank you, everyone, for the warm welcome. I'm delighted to see a lot of familiar folks um, and some new friends. So delighted to be a part of this community. Oh, goodness. I was blushing through my brown skin as you gave me that intro. it's interesting, when I do my programs on owning your value, I make the point that there's this like in front of the curtain introduction of us, all the like internationally sought after speakers, <laughs> blah, 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 right? all of it's true, Like, I, and I'm so proud of and honored by my career and the trajectory of it and where I've taken it, all of it's true, but what's so fascinating is and I think you alluded to this in a way, there's this whole part of ourselves that isn't in those intros, right? That, that's the mm. behind the curtain part of ourselves. And a lot of the work that we do at Belong Lab is about pulling the curtain back and being able to share more of our whole selves. So I really appreciate you welcoming all your guests in that way and welcoming me today in that way. So gosh, what do I want to share? Um, <laughs> let me think, uh, you mentioned I'm a mom. I love to write, so I'm a writer. Um, I am not a good little Indian girl, which was very (laughs) much expected of me. So I'm not going to get that. that. You're not going to get that. Um, I'm an empath. I am a chronic migrainer. So I have chronic migraine and I'm part of the disability community and the chronic illness community um, via that challenge in my life. Uh, Let me think. I am someone who's accomplished all those uh, cool things, but also someone who has epically messed up. So I'm a messer upper. Uh, (laughs) I have failed at a number of things. I continue to fail at things. And I try to share some of those fears. Like here, I'll give you a great one today because bar results for for our, our young lawyers just came out this month. I failed the bar the first time I took it. And it was such a difficult situation for me yeah. as who really identified as very academically strong and nerdy, um, but that was a real kind of formative failure for me, if, if you want to call it that, a formative failure. So I definitely mess up a lot, but I'm always trying to do better. So I don't call myself a do-gooder. I call myself a do-betterer, um, which allows me to have room to mess up. I am uh, a bias- buster, a belonging builder. I'm a boat rocker. I lost my voice for a good chunk of my life and was so grateful to find it again uh, around the time I hit 40. And now that I found it, I use it. So I'm delighted to get to use it with you here today.
0: That is that is so beautiful. So much of what you said really resonates with me. One of the things that I've always admired about you, Neha, since we've been connected, particularly from a virtual perspective and and connected around this space and this work, is how authentic you are, how transparent you are. Um, and you know, one of the first questions I I asked you when we um, before the top of the hour when we connected for today's podcast is, um, I've learned a lot from you, and so I asked you, how are you doing today? It's because I know that you do suffer chronically from migraines and you're so open about that and if I could just say you have taught me how to be much more intentional about not making assumptions that people are just because they're showing up and they appear to be fully present and fully well (laughs) that they are um that they are fully well, right? And so, so I love that that lesson that you've taught me. And, um, and I appreciate that. It was one of the reasons why I asked you when we first connected today, how are you doing today? That was really important for me. So I just wanted to thank you because it was because of you that now I feel so inclined to be intentional about asking the questions, especially when people are as transparent and open about some of their challenges. And so I just well, wanted then- to share that.
1: Thank you. It really meant so much to me that you asked that because you immediately drew in that wholer part of me into our conversation right off the bat. And you also let me know that you've been you've been reading my tweets. So my personal is where I like talk a lot about my struggle yeah. with, like, uh, with my chronic illness. And it, it really, talk about creating safety for someone to be authentic. Um, you did a great job of that. And I, I really, I want to
0: appreciate you for that. No, oh, no, absolutely. 100%. Okay, so let's jump right in. I love the name Belong Lab, by the way. And I love the fact that you have centered, um, you know, your work on very explicitly trying to bring greater intentionality around the belonging aspect of this broad work. And so give us a little bit about the type of clients or, or maybe organizations and type of work and projects that Belong Lab um, engages in on a routine basis.
1: Oh, wow. Gosh, you're going to have to stop me because I'm going to talk too much. I can already work.
0: Okay. I so, want to uh, hear it
1: all. <laughs> you in the intro kind of laid it out. We create cultures of belonging. We help organizations create cultures of belonging mm-hmm. into which each person can bring more of their true and best self. We know mm-hmm. that there is no belonging for any of us unless we can bring more of our true and best self to our work. So into our lives. So on the organizational end. That ends up looking like a lot of work on the creating safety, on the shifting structures to be more inclusive. It looks like inclusive leadership trainings and keynotes. So I do a lot of speaking these days. Mm -hmm. Um, It looks like uh, consulting with leadership on how to shake up systems. Um, It looks like all sorts. It looks like the work I do on LinkedIn and the posts I do on LinkedIn um, and other social media and on the individual part, there's that whole part about creating a space for people to feel safe and emboldened to bring their true and best self to their work. So we do a lot of work inspiring and empowering individuals in organizations Mm. to not, you can't even start at bringing your best true and best self to your work. Because for many of us, me having been one of those people, many of us have forgotten who our true and best selves are because we have had to play this game that was not created by us or for us. For me, it looked like when I said to you that I I found my voice and now I'm using it. For me, it looked like I became so good at telling people what they wanted to hear because that's what it took for me as a brown girl, a daughter of immigrants growing up in what was then a very white and racist suburb of Chicago. It took me reading people really well and telling them what they wanted to hear for me to even get by the problem. Mm. I became so good at that, that at some point I forgot what I wanted to say. And Mm. that's a huge problem. So um, the journey really starts for, for many of us in actually a lot of deep self-reflection and figuring figuring out who is it that I am? What are the parts of myself I have been cutting off in order to fit into these molds that weren't created by me or for me? And then once you figure that out, Then you can think about how do you bring that to the world in a way that is not too risky for you. So we do a lot of work on that kind of individual level, but of course, also on the organizational level. Um, Substantively, it looks like programs busting bias because we know that bias is one of the biggest barriers to belonging. So we work on busting, stopping the harm that's directed against other people and providing healing from the harm for people who have suffered from harm uh, being on the Mm receiving end. Hmm.
0: No, I love that. One of the things that, um, it, you know, Alfred actually highlighted this into the, the chat, but as you were talking about listening to me, you know, present you and read your bio, you know, blushing while brown. Mm-hmm. And, and what I love about that is you are you are walking the talk. And what I mean is, in, in your bio, I talked about the fact that, you know, your, your program, owning your value, you know, you give people permission to own their own value by the way in which you receive the recognition, the facts that being presented about you and the work that you've done and what you've accomplished. And so I want to lean into that a bit. And I would love for you to talk about um, this program, why it's important and um, how you have designed it to to really um, create the outcomes that that you sought after when you were creating this, this program. I,
1: I really appreciate how
0: you framed that because
1: Well, one, you're so right, and I appreciate that you recognize something that took a lot of intentionality for me and continues to take a lot of intentionality Mm -hmm. to receive, right? Like I'm blushing through my brown skin, and I'm always startled (laughs) to hear that kind of intro of me, even though I wrote my bio, Um, but it's startling because we're not used to particularly I think I can speak as a woman, I can speak as a brown woman, I can speak as an American woman of Indian descent. You know, there's all these different layers of my identity that make it deeply uncomfortable for me to bask in the glory of my accomplishments, right? Like Mm. I'm not supposed to do that. When I do that, I'm being arrogant, quote unquote. Mm. Um, It's a bad look on someone who looks like me to be like, hey, you know what? I'm an internationally sought after speaker. I didn't even put that in my bio. Rita Givens Bird, my colleague at Belong Lab, was the one who told me, Neha, you're not a nationally sought after speaker anymore. You're an internationally sought after speaker. You need Thank to- you, Rita. <laughs> Thank you, Rita. Totally. And see, I needed that, I needed that from her because we're not accustomed to doing that. So I appreciate calling that out because for me, um, owning my value, uh, it's a risk. It's a risk for mm-hmm. many of us every single day, especially when it comes to showing our value, you know, we break down owning our value into three um, aspects. So one is you have to know your value in order to own your value. Two, mm-hmm. you have to throw your value, always be learning, always be open to others' expertise and perspectives and identities. And you always have to be showing your value. And the showing your value mm-hmm. is where we get a lot of judgment based on whatever biases there might be against us. So I appreciate. calling that out now the importance of it i mean i could i don't even know where to start i mean i think even just when we think about busting stereotypes you know i think about every time i'm about to post something on linkedin about an accomplishment that belong lab has had or perhaps something i'm proud of Mm -hmm. um for a second because i know that as soon as i hit post on that it's going to turn off some people It's going to turn off some people People are going to be like, who does she think she is? Wow. She talks about herself a lot, you know, but then I have to remind myself it's up to me. I can take, I can afford to take more risks now, you know, I'm three decades into my career. I'm not a junior where the risks are much higher. I hold a lot of privilege that I need to leverage in order to create a new model of what it means to be a Brown woman. Guess what? Brown women speak the truth about their accomplishments. That's what I want the future to be. I want my daughter to not feel like she has to make herself small publicly. And so that is my kind of decision point nudge. That's like, this is the, this is one of the reasons we have to own our value to allow all the people that come after us to do that. And then of course, there's the simple things like, I wouldn't have the trust of my clients if right. I was not able to tell them, you can trust me
0: because I right. have done I and Z and I got this. Neha, I feel, I feel so seen right now. I really do because everything that you just said completely resonates with me, you know, as, as you know, also as a, as a, as a Brown, as a Black woman, I have had to a lot of trepidation around what do I share? Right. And I love the fact that you said speaking truth about your accomplishments, some would call that bragging, but it ain't bragging if it's true, and if it happened. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, you know, and I think there's a difference between bragging and flagging and the reframe there is so important because it helps us to realize no we aren't bragging, we aren't being arrogant we are flagging what what our value is to your point, what we have to offer and 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 why our words um are or or, And the content that we share is something that can be trusted. You know, I've experienced this. I've worked hard for whatever kind of credentials that I have built up to be able to speak as a voice of authority on this topic. And so I love that. Um, I also want to take note of the three elements that you shared about owning your values. I want to make sure this audience got it because it was so good. You have to know your value you have to grow your value and you have to show your value, right? That is just so beautiful. I, I love that completely. Um, is there anything else you want to share with us before I move to the next question um, about this owning your value program? Is, can yeah. individuals just kind of sign up and say, yes, I, I, I could value going through that experience. Or is it more of like a program that you do for individuals within respective organizations that they belong to? How does this work?
1: Yeah, it's usually through organizations. And thank you for asking actually not just one program, it's a suite of programs. So there are a number of programs that are all geared towards um, helping organizations value the people they have, uh, see and truly value them, because that is what true belonging requires, not just being seen, but being valued and actually even being celebrated. Um, And then of course, helps the individuals in the organization bring more of their true and best selves to their work. So what that looks like programmatically is addressing self-doubt, which is really- counter to owning your value. And we dig into a particular brand of self-doubt that is very insidious. So a lot of our programs are geared towards busting imposter syndrome and building evidence-based confidence. You talked about truth-telling. I think we both have been talking about Mm -hmm. that. And that's what this is. This is about not fake it till you make it confidence. This is about evidence-based true confidence. So we do workshops and keynotes to inspire people to actually figure out to, how to recognize when self-doubt is creeping up for them, how to understand where it comes from. Because the truth is for many of us, it comes from biases that have been directed against us. Oh, of All course. Biases, right? All those voices that have yeah told us in some way or another, who do you think you are? Can become that voice in our own heads. Who do I think I am? So, this is a bias issue. This is an inclusion and equity issue. This is a well being issue. So, it kind of lives at the intersection of inclusion, well being, and leadership development. So, it's a beautiful bang for your buck topic. And then, as far as other programs, we also recognize that it's not on those of us who have been harmed by these messages of bias to fix everything. It is It is, we have room to heal, that's how I like to look at it, but we have to actually stop the harm from happening in the first place as organizations. So the other part of our programs and owning your value are really geared towards inclusive leadership. How do we empower leaders in the organization to cultivate a culture that reduces instead of feeds self-doubt? So both Mm -hmm. organizational, structural leadership and really honing in on the individual.
0: I like that. And I often say that this work, the work of being able to show up at your best and contribute all of your talents and your skill sets that really can lead towards um, you know, transformative change, it starts at the personal level. So I love that it's not just about what are we doing from an organizational perspective, but how do we also fix the individuals that are in these organizations that um, can certainly gain value from deepening their, their belief system of their worth and their value so that they can really lean into that and contribute all of that to the world. Um, I, you know, you talk about imposter syndrome. It's I think that probably so many of us can think about so many situations, particularly if we're part of one of those historically, um, you know, marginalized communities. We can have so many examples as to how imposter syndrome has created harm for us, right? Kept us out of different, you know, opportunities and caused us to shrink back. And you know, I have a session that I do that is entitled Imposter syndrome: a misdiagnosis. And it goes back to exactly what you were saying. It's the bias, it's the bias, and it's the yeah. systems, and the bias in the systems, and not necessarily us, but we we then reflect it as something is wrong with us. We're not adequate enough, we're not sufficient. So again, I just just love the reframe and helping us to get to the crux of really what the issue is, because that's where it starts to help us unravel that it's not us. It's not us. And I can't stand in my truth and my value. Yeah. I really appreciate that. And I appreciate what you said about the
1: individual and, and because I think we we've shifted the conversation in DEIB in a very important way over the past couple of years mm-hmm. in to recognize that many of these problems are structural and systemic. And so they're, they're actually, you have to shake up the systems. You know you can empower we a did. bunch of individuals along the way, but if you're not actually shaking down the systems, creating new systems, we're not gonna get to where we want to go. But what I worry about, and I think this just kind of, you helped me figure this out. So thank you, Dr. White. What I worry about is that when we, in making that shift, I worry that we've somehow absolved ourselves of, of responsibility. And I think that it's important to remember that systems are made up of people and well, how yes. get perpetuated? they get perpetuated by us yes. and, them and everybody else. And so what is our role? Let's recognize that these, these are systemic issues, but what is each of our role in shaking up the system? And that's the other beauty of the owning your value program is that you're not going to Rock the boat and shake a system because that's that's risky. That's big. Yeah. You and you're not going to do it by
0: yourself. You're not
1: going to do it by yourself, and you're not going <laughs> to even feel emboldened to do that unless you have that confidence in yourself and your abilities. So mm. that's another kind of connection with the work into the systemic change. But I but I really appreciate that. And I and you're absolutely right. Like what I see happen with people who experience imposter syndrome is we often compound our misery. By blaming ourselves, we're already feeling crappy about ourselves because I'm not told this, I can't do this. Like those are the narratives that imposter syndrome has in our head. I'm not good enough. And then we compound it with, and it's my fault. I feel this way, yes. which is completely wrong. It is not your fault. You feel that way. You have been bombarded with messages throughout a lifetime that tell you you're not good enough that lie to you and tell you you're not good enough.
0: So the yes. fault is not yours. So I, I I really appreciate you teasing that out. Yeah, no, that confidence piece is so critical. So I, I love the connection point there because you know you, you described yourself as I'm a boat rocker, and so many people they need that confidence to rock the boat. But there are some people who are part of systems and organizations where they need to flip the boat. And so think about the higher level of confidence that's required to do that because the the, the risk is even greater, right? Yeah. And um, so I, yeah, I'm so I'm I'm so really uh, aligned with with your thought process around um, how which we need to make sure that people at the personal level don't try to absolve themselves of being a part of the solution. Um, and you're right. It's, it's almost like when we talk about bias, we try to fix bias and processes, but we also have to fix bias in people. And so it's, it's a both and. It's not an either or, but a both and. So I want to go back to what you were sharing, Neha, about um, really trying to address the harm that's already happened. So how can you coach someone to heal from harm and trauma that has happened as a result of bias um, in the form of internalized bias? Because that's where it shows up as well.
1: Uh, That's a really good question. I think the first step, and this probably is the most difficult step for many of us, is to see that what we've experienced is actually trauma for many of us. Yeah. <laughs> that's not. That's not um, what we've been told by our society. We've been gaslit usually to believe yeah. the opposite, right? We've been gaslit to be like, "Oh, you're making a bigger deal out of this than it is." Oh no, this isn't. That's not racist. What they just did or said to you. And if you're like me, I I grew up um, experiencing self-gaslighting as a form of internalized bias. So mm-hmm. in order to cope with all this bias that was directed against me, and as a kid, it was like racial bullying, right? And yeah. I, I would convince myself that it wasn't racial bullying because it was too painful for me to acknowledge that these people don't like me because of my, the color of my skin. Mm. That, that's mm. a, painful realization. So uh, my coping mechanism back then was to self-gaslight myself. Like I remember my mom would call it out, you know, thing, strange things would happen in school. You know, I remember uh, there was some honors breakfast and I was somehow left off the list, even though my grades were high enough. And my mom's like, who else was invited? And it turned out like I'm the only brown kid that wasn't invited and I should have been invited. And she's like, that's that something is up here. And I was like, "No, mom, something's not up. It was an innocent mistake, right?" Like you make excuses yeah. because the truth is so painful. So I think we have to be able to see the painful truths in order to understand that, understand what we're dealing with. That what we're dealing with isn't like you kind of said. It's not a personality flaw. Mm-hmm.
2: If I have imposter
1: syndrome as a form of internalized bias, that's not doesn't mean something's wrong with me. That means it's right. wrong with the world around me, and I have been harmed. And now right. I know so the first thing is acknowledging what has happened. The second step is getting to know yourself with grace and wonder. So mm-hmm. how do you like for me? It was looking at those parts of myself I had been cutting off, as I mentioned, in order to try to squeeze myself into this mold that was not created by me or for me. And what what actually turns out to be true is that all the one, I will never. I will never be able to squeeze myself into the mold created by like cisgender straight white men because I'm not a cisgender straight white man, right? <laughs> so I will never fit that mold. But to look at those pieces that for a lifetime I had been cutting off, because those pieces, those that that that's my magic. That that's that those are the parts of me that I am the only human on this planet that that right. has that brand of magic, right? And so starting to think about instead of leaving that stuff behind, instead of covering that how can I actually put that in the spotlight and leverage that? How can I honor that as my magic? And when people start to do that, you're gonna lose some folks. You know, when I started to come, you see like I'm very facially expressive. That's a piece of me that I had tried to cut off because, you know, people like talk like this, stand like this, be very polished when you're a public speaker. And that's just not who I am. I'm super casual, <laughs> I'm super informal, I'm very animated. When I started to leverage that, I remember some people said some not so kind things to me like, Neha, you've had too much coffee today. Wow. She's too much for me. And guess what? I'm not here to make everybody happy. So those people can go find their person who stands like this and talks like this and is very quote unquote polished. But guess what? When I bring that animation, I find my people because there are people out there (laughs) with whom that resonates. You know, it's almost like the stories we're the most scared to share, and I think about this in terms of my writing, when I've shared personal, when I've written personal essays, the stories I've been the most scared to share because I I knew that it might turn some people off are the stories that most needed to be heard. There, even though I heard about five people, there were like 50 people who were moved to tears and connected with me and now are my friends, you know? So I do think that it is about recognizing pieces we've had to cut off and starting to, starting to leverage those, starting to take those risks to leverage those come what may.
0: Yeah, that is, that is so perfect. You have such a way with words. I just, I, I placed into the chat something that you said that just really stuck with me get to know yourself with grace and wonder. Yeah, I, I just love that we, we don't extend enough grace to ourselves. And I think that um, we aren't curious enough sometimes to dig deeper to understand the why behind why, why we're feeling what we feel why we are showing up the way that we are. And if we had a deeper level of curiosity, and wonder, I I I can only imagine how we could be more equipped, better equipped to really reach our full potential, and not worry so much about the people who aren't our people, right? Like you talked about, folks who they may not like your style, but th- that's not who really I'm, I'm. I'm here to to please and to speak with, and that's fine. That's okay. So I absolutely love that. So. Um, Neha, you gave us a lot of information about what people can do to begin to address their own um, healing journey, right, in terms of acknowledging the trauma and the harm. I'm curious about your perspective on what role, if any, should organizations play and take on in helping to address the harm that, that they are probably aware of has occurred maybe in the workplace that's impacting people and how they're showing up? No,
1: organizations absolutely are responsible because organizations have harmed in in some of the most um, negatively impactful ways. I bet a number of us here today, myself included, can think of times that in the workplace, um, we were held back by something that happened in the workplace that impacted us, that has all these like ripple effects that impacted us for some of us for a lifetime. So we cannot overstate the impact of the harm created in our workplaces. Um, And so I do put the onus of responsibility on organizations to provide that, stop harming, of course, and provide that healing from the harm, because they're the ones who have actually created the harm in a lot of the ways. So that means creating programs, right, for healing from the harm, and not, not positioning them as, we need you to fix yourselves. And that's, that's what we see them often positioned as, this idea that we need to make our uh, people of color or our women um, more confident because they've got a confidence issue. It's like, Mm -hmm. no, actually they've been harmed and deserve to heal from that harm. We're not trying to tell them to change themselves. We're actually helping them remember their own amazingness. This isn't about changing someone. So I think that that harm Framing of it is so important Mm -hmm. because it really takes the onus off the individuals. It's not about fixing folks; it's about healing. But organizations absolutely need to through through coaching programs, through training programs, um, through doing programs to stop even doing programs to stop the harm provides some healing because then we know you're not putting it on us. You realize that it's on you to stop harming, and that makes me feel like you see what's really been happening so even the stop the harm programs like the busting unconscious bias programs all of those if you do those heartfully and if everyone shows up all the way through the most senior leadership and really really buys into it as do betterers like they're able to own where they've messed up and and do better um, that actually has an important role in the healing for all of us
0: yeah. Do you think that organizational leaders are connecting the dots, though? And and what I mean by that is when we use language like harm and trauma as it relates to the workplace, um, and I've experienced this, and maybe you have as well, but sometimes those organizational leaders, they, they begin to question, well, is that my responsibility? Um, we're not therapists, you know? We do have an you know, employee resource program and they can, you know, go and, and, and connect with a therapist, um, you know, because when we use words like healing and harm, organizations <laughs> tend to believe that, what are you talking about? That's not the space we're in. We're not a social justice entity. You know, that's, that's really some of the conversations that I know I've been a part of when we've talked about um healing and trauma in the workplace it's almost like well wait the, the, does that language even fit into this this workplace environment what do you say to those individuals
1: um I say catch up with us uh, <laughs> I, I, I think you're right I think um you're right that the market is not really ready yeah. for that language Um, But the market wasn't ready for belonging when you and I started talking about it years ago, right? And it's only because we still took the chance. We believed in it. We started talking about it. And we were part of shifting the market. So I'm a big believer in not going where the market takes us all the time or really any of the time, but really thinking about what power do I have? What agency do I have? To actually educate and shape the market, so I'm really proud to be in a network with people like you and and so many others in our community that are like boldly saying, "You can tell us you don't want to take on trauma, or that this isn't trauma, or you want to silo um, exclusion trauma or othering trauma, but you're gonna come around in about a year or two, and you're gonna wish you had hired us, you know, two years earlier." So right. I'm about it, it. It's the truth. It's the lived experience. Of yeah. some of us, and the more of us that have the power to shout from the rooftops about it, we can we can shift
0: change. But I'm curious about your thought about it. I really want to hear what your perspective is on that too. Uh- I think it's, I think it's hard. I think that you're absolutely right. And the reason I asked that question is because I experience it a lot. I think that, you know, language is important. We know that. And it takes, it, I'm finding that it takes a lot of organizational leaders um, a while to warm up to the idea that they should be playing in this space of trying to help people heal from, from trauma and from harm right? Because they see that as a, as a separation from the workplace. It's almost as though that's what therapy is for. That's what all these other resources are for. But we're here to make widgets. We're here to, you know, provide this stuff. This. Okay. It's like I-, I- they, it's hard for them to connect the dots. And so I was just really interested in hearing if you have experienced the same, you know? I yeah. mean, I you probably have seen a lot of this too, but I've even seen posts on LinkedIn where a lot of organizational leaders will will really just um, refute and um, incur- discourage people from using language like harm and trauma and toxicity, you know, yeah. in the workplace. They, they don't want to hear it. Yeah. I don't know if it's because they're putting on, they are, they're wishing maybe that the truth is not the truth and they're hoping that perhaps if I just ignore it and, and say it's not true, that it's not going to be true, which we know that's not the case. Or if it's just, um, you know, maybe, maybe as practitioners, there's another strategy and approach that perhaps we need to be open to to help bring them along on that type of conversation I don't know so really uh, one yeah. of the things that I like to tell my team all the time is I see these podcasts as professional development for us because we learn every week yeah. I don't know so I was I was just really interested in hearing your perspective on that
1: yeah. I, I actually really appreciate your perspective as well because I'm it's making me think about how this plays out for me so we work in all different industries which is so mm. great we can transfer best practices from one industry right. to another but because I'm trained as a lawyer and I practice law way back when um, I have a lot of clients in the legal profession. Now, the legal profession is very sadly well known to have serious well-being issues. I mean, it is, um, it's so sad the amount of wellness challenges that lawyers have and how much dissatisfaction they have in their work. Mm-hmm. This has been going on for decades uh, mm-hmm. because profession is also slow to change, you know, very conservative, yeah. risk averse, and slow to change. But what I'm able to leverage be in, in the legal profession, at least, because we know we have this well-being issue, is people are not going to make that point about, oh, your wellness and trauma doesn't really, you know, keep that for home, They because they don't dare do that in the legal profession, because they know that they're, un, they're, they're um, under a lot of pressure to actually make some headway and create a more well profession. So I think, de-siloing is an important yeah. piece of this, right? Like desiloing DEIB from well being, desiloing DEIB from leadership, right. desiloing leadership from well being. Like if if they care about when you talk about connecting the dots, I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Where you connect the dots? I mean, strategically, I try. If they speak leadership, I try to connect the dots between yeah. the trauma, and I may not use that word if that is something that is going to shut them down, but I may right. still
0: describe what is trauma, right? And Absolutely. That's with leadership. Yeah. No, that's, that's that's spot on. So I am going to shift momentarily to take um, questions, comments from this audience. You can share whatever you like to contribute um, by simply raising your hand. And that lets me know that you are open for me to add you to the spotlight and to invite you to unmute yourself and share. Or if you have a question, comment, contribution, and you just want to share it into the chat, we will also make sure we're paying close attention to bring that into the dialogue. So I'll ask one more question before I will shift. That way I can give this audience an opportunity just to think about maybe what's percolating or curiosities you're holding. Um, you have a LinkedIn newsletter and it's called Box Breakers and really rich content that you share. And recently I became aware of your ta list, right? So I want you to talk just in general about the type of content that you share and your, your box breakers um, um, newsletters. But then also I specifically want us to talk about this to dial list, because I just think it's brilliant. So go for it. Yes, thank you for inviting me to do that. So box breakers
1: newsletter, I welcome folks to um, join it. Really, the content is about how do we stop being people who check boxes and start being people who break boxes. Um, So it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of it's really um, enticing, engaging content. And I'd love to have you be part of that community, all of you here today, um, or listening later. So uh, the first ever uh, post in the in the Box Breakers newsletter was last December, so December 2021, and I wrote a post about how at the end of the year is the perfect time to cl- turn the page on your massive to-do list that's like haunting you as you get to December, right? You're like, oh crap, it's the end of the yeah. year. I haven't done all these things. Oh, remember what was my word for 2022? Did I even embody that word? I haven't worked out. I better put those workouts. out. You know, we're like frantically trying to <laughs> make good on the promises we made ourselves at the beginning of the yeah. year. And it can really make us feel kind of crappy and it can actually feed our imposter syndrome. See, I'm not good enough. Like I had all these goals, I didn't meet them. So this is the time in December, November, December, kind of right where we're at. And for this yep. to be the last vodcast of the year, perfect opportunity to turn the page on that to-do list and create a ta-da list. So a ta-da list is not forward-looking like a to-do list is. A ta-da list is backward-looking. And you're essentially identifying what were your ta-da's from this year? What yeah. were accomplishments? What were things that maybe never even lived on your to-do list because they came out of nowhere and slapped you in the face, that you survived, that you managed, that you figured out. All of those things, personal and professional, create a ta list, and most importantly, you have to ask yourself for each ta what does that ta say about who I am and of what I am capable? That's how you identify your unique qualifications that's how you start to see, know your value. When we talk about knowing your value, that's an important way to know your values, not just identifying the ta-da and saying woohoo, although that's important, but also ask yourself, what does this ta-da say about who I am and of what I'm capable? What are my identities, perspectives, skills, strengths that led to that ta-da? And that's, that's the gold. So uh, this is a perfect time of year to do that. Um, Dr. White, let's do it. What do you think? Do you have a ta-da? Well, you know,
0: I love this so much. I think it's brilliant. And I knew for certain that I wanted us to introduce this, um, this idea of, and we can't just say ta list. We have to really give it the full effect. Ta-da, right? That's what it is. We're excited about it. It is like something that we're really feeling a lot of energy around and and we want to celebrate it. And we want to allow it to fuel us towards even greater momentum and traction for, for maybe bigger, loftier goals in the future. Because again, it's all about that confidence, so we can show up as our best selves, right? And do the work that we all can do. So, I love this. I do have a tada. And um, my tada this year, and this is going to be you know pretty familiar information to this community because I've been sharing it a lot with with the friends in this podcast community. But it was completing book number three that wow. is releasing January of 2023. It was completing it. It really was. And even though this is book number three, in so many ways, I feel like this is book number one. You know how you write something, then you go back, and at the time you think it's just tremendous. And and I'm not saying that book number one, and number two, were not worthy because again, I I'm I'm standing in my value very worthy content, but, um, you know, I've, I've grown a lot. I've matured a lot in this work, in this space, I've experienced a lot and I have poured everything that I have and that I know into book number three. So that is my tada, And I cannot wait to its release to the world. Um, and so thank you for giving us this moment just to reflect on our ta I want to invite this community. Go to the chat, y'all. If you're joining us by LinkedIn Live, go to the comment section there. But what is your ta I'm sure there's many, but maybe just pick one to kind of socialize and share with this community. And um, and and hopefully this is gonna be something that becomes a ripple effect. Maybe we'll start sharing our ta with others in our network, our coworkers, our family, our friends, and then everyone else will start doing it too. Exactly. And how what, what a beautiful picture that seems to paint in my head, at least. And we're all sharing it. our tadas. I love it. I and love I have it.
1: to say, congratulations, Dr. White. Um, this is an opportunity for us all to celebrate as a community too. What other yes. people are going to put in there, you know, absolutely. Your third book, I mean, that is huge. And I have to ask you one question. What is that? What is one thing that Tada says about who you are or what you or of what you're capable?
0: Um Oh, cool. who you? I am and what I'm capable of. Um, that's such a great question. So I, I do need to spend some more time and reflection on that. But I think what it says is that first and foremost, I am i am a person that is worthy of being selected, sought after by a brand like Forbes Publishing to say your voice matters. Yeah. And we want you to write this book. We want to publish this book. Um. I think it also says about me that my voice matters, that I I, I, I do have influence. And so the work that I've been doing um, is not in vain. And, um, that gives me confidence to, to keep going, to keep going at this work that I care so deeply about. Right. That's the goal. And so, That's beautiful. Yeah. And so if nothing else, I think that confidence piece, which is what you brought to today's conversation, I think I've kind of, I've, I've buried that. I haven't really given, I haven't really amplified that in my life. You know, I, I feel like I'm just naturally an ambitious, driven, confident person, but, um, but yeah, I mean, today it's kind of gone up another level. It's like, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, so so thank you. Thank you so much for that. Yes, keep those Tadahs coming. I want to see the chat kind of fill up with them. Well, I do see two hands raised and we have 10 minutes left. And so I, I, I'm I not going to be selfish any longer. I'm going to share Neha with this community. And so, um, Sean, I think I saw your hand go up first. And so I'm, I invite you to unmute yourself and to share. Hey, Sean.
3: Hey, Neha. Um, good good dude. to long time, uh, no talk.
1: Yes, it's a lot to see you here. Oh my
3: goodness, Yeah, yeah. yeah thank you, and uh, thank you, Nika, for having her um, and for letting me um, ask my question. And it's just, I want to say this. So, um, before I ask my question, like I just had a very unfortunate situation where I just lost a job, and my manager was a woman of color, and mm-hmm. it and and it's just really, and that's why, like, what's going on with you know Nika having this platform, um, having you on here. Seeing both of you, a Black woman, an Indian woman, like it's beautiful. And it's just because my situation was just very unfortunate. Um, but Neha, the question I want to ask is you mentioned something on, you mentioned something um, about, you know, finding your voice, you know, mm-hmm. having lost it. Um, for, and you, you named all the dynamics and components with it that, that went into you losing it. And now that you found it and you've tapped back into your power how do you balance navigate and balance um you know that power in your presence that you rediscovered when you're around other people of color Mm -hmm. more specifically but people but it doesn't necessarily have to be people of color you know um but people of color specifically and just people period that may have lost theirs or never found it you know like how do you balance that you know between like not shaking them to their core, you know, to now they're scared of you or they see you as a threat. You know what I mean? Cause you talked about some of those. Yeah,
1: no, I, so yes. Thank you. That's such a thought provoking question. Um, well, let me first say this. I'm so sorry for what you have gone through. And I think it's, um, it lands differently when it is another, a person of our own, you know, that, So I just want to point that out, that there's a different complexity and a different Mm -hmm. experience, given what you just described, you've gone through. So I want to just give that space and and honor that. As far as your question, that is fantastic. I I find that for me, it's leveraging my unique qualification of making myself vulnerable. So if I came at people and was just like, I'm confident and, and I'm a great speaker and I'm this and I'm that and I've done this and that. It's also showing that behind the curtain version of myself, right? Like I have effed up a heck of a lot of times. I right. just effed up in a training I did for a client and thankfully someone called me out and with such generosity and grace. And so I have to take that opportunity to be a do better, but also to right. say like I'm human too. And so I think relating to people who may not have found their voice by sharing the real the real truth of what it was like for me when I didn't have my voice. I mean, I tell people I went to therapy and I'm a big proponent of therapy, but therapy is really the big key for me finding my voice again, and that's your therapy. So it's not a small deal, but I think relating to people where they're at and putting myself back into when I was in those shoes helps them feel, connects the dots between me and them, if that makes sense.
3: Right, no, it does. And thank you, thank you for asking that.
0: Good, to,
3: so good um, to see. Yeah, good to it see is. you, too. I hope we can yeah. all connect again
0: soon. Yes, yes. Yes. Sounds good, Sean. Thanks so much for being here today and for sharing your question. Okay, so Kwabana's hand is up as well. We always appreciate um, when people return to our podcast week after week, and Kwabana is one of those individuals. And so thanks for being here. Share your question or comment.
2: Thank you. Good morning, family. Um, and thank you, ne- Neha and Dr. White. This has been... Very inspiring and enlightening. Some of the jewels that I, I've been able to take away is grow your value or know your value, grow your value, show your value. I had to write that one down. And then uh, Dr. White, when you also reiterated her quote on uh, get to know yourself with grace and wonder. And, and it's especially that wonder, like mm-hmm. just taking that time to mentally see who are you now, who were you before, and who are you on your way to becoming? Um, So I appreciate that. That's actually, it hits home for me now. I'm really consciously in that space, which brings me to my question, which actually also touches on Sean's uh, statement. So um, as we think about some of our DEI uh, leaders and we talked about assimilation, acculturation, Earlier and sometimes in organizations, uh, organizations may just put that brown face, kind of that checkbox, like put that brown face um, who has really assimilated and acculturated to the dominant culture in those DEI leadership roles. And um, as I was talking to a friend, she said, "Well, she's got her own mental issues that she needs to deal with herself. You know, she need, you know." D and I, or DEIB, or I don't know if anybody saw the uh, note, I recently heard Debbie, um, so <laughs> diversity, equity, um, belonging, belonging inclusion, inclusion. Um, so what are your thoughts on having not just our um, IEP, or not IEP, um, uh, EAP programs, but an actual on-site psychologist to be there for you know, those who are going through this journey, which as we know, diversity, um, equity, inclusion is change management, it's challenging people's norms, values and the way they've grown up because they're being enlightened. Um, so what are your thoughts around um, having those types of positions as a part of the um, overall strategy and Debbie?
1: I love the idea of having those resources my concern would be how effective could they be given the trust issues people might have. Like I think about HR and how HR is supposed to be the ally of the people and often it bites people so hard, right? It is like the worst. And I worry about how that could happen, um, if there were like an on-site psychologist or something. Um, but I do think, there has to this has to be integrated in everything. I'm a big believer in de-siloing. I'm a big believer in wellness is a grassroots thing, right? Like well-being should be part of how inclusion should be part of how everyone does their job. Everyone should do their job inclusively. Everyone should should do their job to foster well-being. So I do think there's a great role for experts in mental health and all those sort of things to in wellness to actually embed some of that work and, and train the trainer sort of thing, like embed sort of that work from top down or from bottom up in, you know, in the organization completely. I totally agree with that. And the in the in the point you made earlier about um the, I don't know if it's the token brown person, like who, who are, are in these positions of power. And sometimes they're people that are more geared towards assimilating than they are people who are gonna shake things up. Um, You have just like put your finger on the pulse of where I want to go with my work. That is, um, I literally just posted on LinkedIn this week, don't teach someone to navigate the minefield when you have the power to remove the mines. Oh, I saw that.
0: That's so good.
1: (laughs) Because I keep seeing this happen. There are plenty of people who shake things up, but then there are some who forgot, have forgotten they ever wanted to shake things up. And that becomes really painful for the rest of us. So I, I wanted to also just kind of reflect back on, on, on what you shared about that.
2: Thank you, It's it's and it's not necessarily their fault, right? It's, it's
1: not, it's not. They could It's be.
2: not about the shame or the guilt or anything like that. It's exactly. That's what they had to do. They had to adapt to survive. Right. So and how do you honestly address that?
1: Exactly, they've had to adapt to survive. They're probably tapped out, I mean, because they've had to work three times as hard to get that far. Um, There are so many reasons why it's not on them, but I do think that for some of us, we don't realize the power we have, and I think Mm -hmm. it's important to constantly assessing, you know, the power I have three decades into my career is different than even a decade ago. How am I going to leverage that power? Mm -hmm. Of course, maintaining my well-being first. That has to be first, but with whatever spoons I have
0: left, how am I going to shake things up? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Bobana, we appreciate you being here and you sharing your, your question. We are unfortunately out of time. And I say unfortunately, because I know this conversation could go on and on and still continue to reach so many different heights of like great gems and nuggets, but I am so grateful for your time. I do want to um, let this audience know that we have shared into the chat ways in which you can connect with Niha. And um, it has of course her um, Belong Lab website, as well as information for connecting with her on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, that quote that you just mentioned that you shared on LinkedIn, it gave me pause. And I just literally sat and I was like, wow. So I do want to mention, and hopefully we can get this into the chat before we log off. Um, you published an article that's called Walking a Minefield Without a Map, the explosive intersection of well being and belonging. So a lot of the sentiments I'm sure that probably found its way into that article you've referenced today. So I certainly want to deposit that as a resource um, for this community. Um, This has been delightful. I'm so grateful for you, grateful we've been able to share this time in this space. i want to give you the final 60 seconds just to close this out in whatever way that feels appropriate to you. Thank you. Uh, Dr. White, thank you
1: so much. This has been truly, truly enjoyable for me. So um, thank you for giving me a wonderful Friday morning. How to close this out. Let me say this. We have a week ahead of us with a holiday in which we're celebrating gratitude. Um, Build into your gratitude practice, not just what you're grateful for, that's circumstantial, the people outside of you that you're grateful for. Add an item on your gratitude list. What are you grateful to yourself for? Um, And that's a really important way for you to understand that there's so much in the world that Uh, the world gives to you so much, but also you give back to the world in such meaningful ways. So as you go into the gratitude week, um, I would encourage you to think about that. Please connect with me. I would love to connect with all of you on LinkedIn and otherwise.
0: Um, Thank you, Dr. White, and everyone on your team who has been just fantastic. Thank you so much, Neha. I hope you have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Happy Thanksgiving to all, and we will see you in 2023. Thanks so very much.